Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. First one up is K-Address Book. The name says it all. It's an address book for KDE. Now I'm going to admit, I'm horrible at keeping address books. I really am. I've always been horrible at it. It's never been something I've ever wanted to invest time in. And I think that's what it comes down to is just not, not, not taking the steps to maintain an address book. And then beyond that, I think that modern email applications in a way discourage it, frankly, because if, if I open Kmail and maybe I'll discover something new as I do this, but if I, cause this didn't even occur to me until I just started talking just now. Um, but like when you, if I go, if I'm in Kmail and I go to compose a new address, if I start typing an address, then it gives me, as with most, again, most modern emails, it, it, it kind of scrubs through your history and, and adds or, or, or offers rather your recent, recent addresses that you've used and contacts found in your data. I love how Kmail phrases that because it, it's very specifically telling you these are contacts found in your data, not not in your address book because it's not in your address book. It's just this is just scrubbing through your history and finding things that match whatever you've started typing. So now if I right click, no, okay, good. I was afraid that I was missing some feature. So I tried right clicking on on the address uh, in the drop down and that didn't give me any options. There's no option to right click on that. And then there's no option once the address is entered, there's no option that I can see to add this address to an address book. So what I was starting to say still stands, I guess, and that is that I think modern email uh, applications, whether they're on the web or as a client, I think they kind of discourage the use of address book, or at least they don't encourage it, because they make it really easy for you to just fly on your history a lot like the bash history command actually and how that discourages me from making bash aliases or shell scripts when i should and instead i just look at the history so i'm not again not i'm not claiming that this is a good thing that i do i'm just saying this is a thing that i do and the thing that i do is i ignore this stuff and just trust that it'll just magically be there it's a horrible horrible habit to be into um but there you go that's that's I'm not managing addresses because applications make it really convenient and easy for me to ignore addresses. K address book, however, does exist and it is a component of the the PIM, you know, the personal uh contact personal information management system, PIM. So when you go to, for instance, um to your to contact the application contact you see that you have you you do actually have an address book um option over on the left it, they for whatever reason it call it it calls it contacts c-o-n-t-a-c-t-s i mean i do i i understand why they would call it contacts but it is odd that they call it contacts but the application that it's actually invoking is k address book anyway here it is contacts now you can also uh, if you leave contact 
K-O-N-T-A-C-T. You can also just launch K address book and you get that you get just that component, the K address book component. But lately I've been trying to focus my efforts on using contact specifically rather than, for instance, K-mail um, on its own, because there's so much that contact has to offer. And yes, it allows you, the, the Plasma Desktop, KDE allows you to use just K-mail, but it's actually really kind of nicer to just use the whole thing because you have so many other uh, components that when you if you do just launch kmail or just launch k address book you miss out on the integration you miss out on the other components so anyway here i am in contact in contacts and i i have an empty i have the default thing is called contacts folder completely empty as far as i can tell so i'm going to create a new contact and uh, if i if i click and hold on new contact i get a bunch of different options like i can create a new contact group a new contact, a new message, a new event, a new to-do. So all kinds of new things. But in this case, I just want to do a new contact. And that pops up the the data entry uh, window for contacts. And I can add it to whatever folder I want to. In this case, I'm going to add it to the only one that exists, which is contacts folder. And here's the contact. So I'll enter in Gort. The nickname is Gorty, probably, is what you would call Gort for a nickname. Uh, the phone number, 555-1212, and tags, you can add tags, a blog feed of that, of that person, and then the location, you can give their home address, or their domestic, or international, or postal, or parcel, homework, preferred, whatever, business, personal information, like their birthday, and their anniversary, and their partner's name, notes, Custom fields, you can just add your own custom fields. Crypto settings, that's not for like Bitcoin, that's crypto, like cryptography. They're both saying the same thing, but they're different. So this is like, you know, what um, GPG key you, you use for them and so on. So I'm going to cancel out of that because that's not a real person. It's a made up person. Cancel editing. There we go. Okay, so you can add that, you could add entities to your contacts that way. I think it would be really nice if there was sort of, like an import function where, you know, I could just tell it that anyone that I've emailed uh, at the address of, I don't know, Slack build users uh, mailing list, add that to this contact group or something like that. But I, I don't know of a, of a method to, that, that makes that possible. That doesn't appear to be something that you can do. You can, however, go into Kmail from within contacts, I guess, um, I guess I should have checked this in Kmail itself now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, um, you can go to um, contact, go to the Kmail component, and then open, you know, go to a message. So here's one from Paul Brown, the one of the, um, the people at kde.org. So I'm going to right-click on Paul Brown's email and click Add to Address Book. It says, a contact for Paul Brown was successfully added to your address book. Do you want to edit this contact? Yeah, I think I will. I'll edit that contact. And here he is, Paul Brown in the contact list. Um, not a whole lot of information. It's got his email and uh, his name. So that's the information that I've got on him. And that's really literally all I do have on him. Although I could, I could add things like, um, could I? Yeah, like in the notes that he's with KDE. I mean, obviously from his email address, but he, with KDE, I think he's the, um, let me look just to make sure. 
I can't look because I've got an open dialogue. Okay. So um, anyway, that's what I'll do. I think he's the press person. Pretty sure. Yeah, he's the, the promotions and communication person at KDE. So there you go. Easy to add add people uh, at least, you know, one by one from from an existing message, which is pretty good. I think that's a that's a pretty good feature to have. That as far as I know is everything about K address book really. Um, there are, you know, things like you can merge contacts, you could search for duplicate contacts to try to kind of, um, consolidate things. You can find contacts and then select their name and then send an, an email to, or start composing an email to them, um, that sort of thing. But generally speaking, like, yeah, it's an address book. There aren't any real surprises there, which is a good thing. I think that's all you really want out of an address book is exactly what you would expect. I, I do think, I, I feel like, yeah, if I had any any comments about K address book, it would be that, well, two comments. One, I need to use it more often, and or I need to use it at all. Uh, and two, uh, uh, some kind of, I don't know, easier way to get stuff into K address book would be nice. And by easy, I mean somehow easier than just right-clicking on the email address and adding it to the address book. I mean, that, to be fair, that is really easy. I just think that in in my the way that I think about it is I don't think to add people to an address book until I'm typing their email address in. So I really kind of want that ability at that moment, which, I mean, it's just such a tenuous little complaint, you know? It's just like, okay, adjust your workflow just a tiny bit, but... When it's something so casual as an address book, that's actually, that's just something that I guess I would really have to work at to get myself to think about it at a different moment. Okay, let's move on to K-Alarm. This is a pretty cool one. I will say that there's a little bit of a, a wrinkle um, when getting started with K-Alarm, and I will explain that as soon as my K-Alarm opens and alerts me. Uh, it seems to not be alerting me to something that I need it to alert me to for demonstration. So let me clear some... There we go. Okay. So K-Alarm, when you first launch it, if you've never launched it before, uh, and, and there are a couple of other conditions that you haven't done, but you likely have not done this. So K-Alarm, when you first launch it, gives you two errors um, in succession, in quick succession. So I'm going to read more or less one of these. It says, alarms cannot be created or updated because no writable active alarm calendar is enabled. To fix this, use view show calendars to check or change calendar statuses. This is very misleading. It's, that's not what you're doing. You are going to go to view. You are going to select show calendars. You're not checking or changing calendar statuses, though. You're adding a calendar. That's what you you need to look for is an add button. I don't know why it doesn't say that. It's a very strange message. And then another, so I say okay to that, and then another error comes up or an alert, whatever. And it says, K alarms are configured to be archived, but this is not possible because blah, 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 no calendar. To fix this, use view show calendars, select an archived alarm calendar, and check use as default for archived alarms. So I'll say okay to that again. So the default view of K alarms, so I'm going to get back to it. The default view is a single uh, panel that, that lists all of your non-existent alarms because no calendar exists, so no alarms can exist. So we've been told now to go to view show calendars. That opens up, it's a little bit, a little bit weird because it, it, it changes, um, it, it, it adds a panel to the left called calendars and it's, it can be difficult to tell the panels apart, but 
the new panel that has been added is called calendars. At the bottom of that panel, the bottom of the window under that panel that's been added, there is an add, edit, and remove button. The only one that is enabled is add. That's the, that's the hot button. That's the one that you can actually click. So I'm going to click that. And then a big old configuration window comes up and uh, it's asking me to select the file whose contents should be represented by this resource. If the file does not exist, it will be created. The URL of a remote file can also be specified, but note that monitoring for file changes will not work in this case. Okay, so I can create an alarm file apparently. So I'm going to go into a directory. I don't know what directory I'm going to go into. I don't really have an active calendar directory lately. I have had before. I've had a calendar directory where I kept calendar entries in the format of... And, and I, I would sync it to a git um, a calendar that... To a um, org mode thing using git. Okay, but I don't have that right now. So I'm going to create a new directory, I guess, is the smart thing to do here. Can I do that? Surely I can create a new directory somewhere. It's weird, I don't seem to be able to create a new directory. Well, I'll just right-click then and force it to create a new directory. Nope, doesn't let me do that either. It's interesting, so it seems to be asking... Oh, I see, okay, so it, it accepts an ICS file. That's, that's interesting. Okay, so I'm going to just create a, a new folder called cal, C-A-L, and maybe, you know what, calendar. Uh, and then slash, I guess I'll do alarms.ics. Is that what it wants from me? I don't know. A uh, alarm type, I can make an active alarms, I can make an archived alarms, or an alarm template. Uh, I'll just make it active. Display name, I'll just put, I guess, active alarms. Makes sense, I guess. How about my active alarms? That, that way I know that I created this. Access rights read only? No, I want it to be writable as well. So in theory, I should be able to now add alarms because this file exists. In practice, that's not what happened when I was setting this up. Uh, the, the, there were further issues with K-Alarm that, that really ground my system to a halt, to be honest. I mean, not, not really to a halt, but I mean, it slowed things down. Something was churning away and having problems, and, and it, I had to kill K-Alarm in order to sort of recover from it. Eventually I realized that there was a there were a few infrastructure type files for KLARM that hadn't been created and for whatever reason could not be created. I guess my permissions in my home.local slash share slash KLARM directory were too strict and it just couldn't create the, the files for some reason. I'm not really even sure how I got into that state, but that's what happened. And so the, the, the answer was in the end to touch tilde slash dot local share klarm template dot ICS and expired dot ICS and alarm dot ICS. So alarm template and expired in dot local share klarm. I don't know if that's something that you're going to experience if you try this. I would be interested in knowing, um, but that's definitely what happened for me. Now, again, you know, my my home directory has been inherited from several, several, several um, home directories in the past. You know, fourteen point two, fourteen point one, fourteen point zero, thirteen point three seven, whatever was before that, probably thirteen, I imagine. So there, there have definitely been, you know, who knows what state my system got into at one point. And I hadn't used KLARM until I went to kind of do my investigation for this episode. 
And so I, I, you know, that this may not be your experience, but it has been my experience that the setup was surprisingly complex. So just be aware of that. Anyway, now that I have my active alarms in calendar in, in um, the, the calendar existing for my active alarms, I've also got my default active alarms calendar squared away. And I've got the archival um, thing, you can go to settings if you want to go to configure K alarm and you get to control whether you archive old alarms and so on. I I turned it off. I didn't I don't need archives of former alarms, but you could you you have control over that. So, there is that. And then uh let's see. Now you can create and you may have to relaunch K alarm depending on what kind of setup you ha- you you did. Um but once once you're sort of in the interface, you've got on the left your calendars and on the right, your empty alarms. To create an alarm, you click the new button in the top left corner of the window, and you can create a couple of different kinds of alarms. There's a new display alarm. That's an alarm that will pop up on your display. There's new command alarm, which is essentially a cron job or, or an at job maybe, because you're you're scheduling a command to run at a certain time, a new email alarm, or a new audio alarm. So I'm just going to do a new display alarm and I'll call it my display alarm and I can display uh, the t- uh, a display type I can display a text message the contents of a file or of command output I'm going to do dis- uh, just a text message and I'll just do I guess hello world I can set a sound to play either a beep a sound file a specific sound file or speech to text speech at date time i guess i'll set it for today which is the default that's nice and then uh maybe two minutes from now and there is a or time from now i could say okay well i want it to do i want this thing to show to show up in 20 seconds and i'll hit okay to that oh that's not nope that's not going to work i forgot i did that the first time and that is not a 20 seconds field that is a 20 minutes field time code is not what we're using. We're just using hours and minutes. Okay, so I'm going to do a new alarm that's going to happen in one minute. That's probably better. Now you can also do a try um, option, just the try button, and that that kind of gives you a preview of what your alarm would look like once it was triggered. And you can hit that as many times as you want, uh, and it will just launch those windows. Oh, the alarm time has already expired. I guess I did that too much. Okay, so one more minute. There we go. And I'll add it to my active alarms. There we go. Okay, so now I've got a, a new alarm set, and of course the alarm will present itself in a minute, which I don't think we really need to wait around for. But I will monitor it as I go to the next item in the list, which is K-Alarm Cal. K-Alarm Cal is the K-Alarm client library. So this is a library set that provides access to the K-Alarm calendar files to other applications within the KDE suite. Um, I, I couldn't find the overlap, personally, between the the GUI application K-Alarm and the GUI application contact. But according to the K-Alarm files, for instance, if I look at user include KF5 K-Alarm Cal, K-Alarm Cal, alarm text.h, uh, there's definitely an indication here that it includes K-Alarm Cal export H, Akinadi item, K-Calendar core uh, to-do, Q-string, K-Alarm Cal, namespace, 
uh, and then, well, I mean, that gives you the idea. I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's obviously including stuff from Akinati and from K Calendar Core. And as far as I know, Contact uses K Calendar Core. I guess I could be wrong. Maybe I'm mistaken about that. Can I find out easily? No, I cannot find out easy, easily. Oh, wait, here's a, here's a K Calendar Core. Oh, no, that's not what I want, though. I want to see if Contact uses K-Alarm Core. That's what I meant to do. Uh, let's see if I can do a LDD of Contact. Is that a crazy thing to try? Could I find out from that? Uh, yeah, maybe. All right, I'm going to do a LDD of User Bin Contact and then Grep Insensitive, Case Insensitive, so dash I. K calendar core, I guess. Why not? Nothing for that. How about just K cal? Nothing for that. Okay, so that's that's a dead end. K alarm? No. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, I couldn't find the overlap personally. I mean, not quickly at a, at a glance. I couldn't find it. I mean, you practically saw that glance just now. I mean, I did look through other files, but without going to the source of contact, I guess I probably wouldn't really be able to tell. Which I could do, but I, I just didn't feel like that was necessarily essential, and so I didn't do it. So K calendar, no K alarm and K alarm cal are the um, are, are the K alarm packages. K alarm being a self yeah a self standing sort of alarm system. And there's my uh, little alert. By the way, it came up at some point. I missed it, but but I see it now on my desktop. There, um, it is weird when I hit the try button. On K alarm, it came up in the upper right corner, and now that it has popped up in real life, it's in the lower left corner. I don't know what's governing that, but um, that's K alarm. You can set alarms for all kinds of different events. I mean, I've just done a display alarm here, but as you've as you've already heard me mention, there are other options. You can schedule commands and audio files, and and you can create templates for other options. So you've got a lot to 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 play around with there. Okay. Next up, what's next in the list? K-Algebra. This is an interesting one. We'll talk about it after coffee. pleasures in life is finding a new really good brew of coffee or I should say a roast of coffee and exploring the different ways you can brew that roast and I mean you can obviously brew it in any way but I mean exploring the flavor that you get from a different brew so I have had my fancy new flight coffee grind uh, in my percolator my stovetop percolator I've had it in my stovetop um espresso, what do they call it, mocha? The, they, I guess they call it a mocha pot now. I, I, I always thought it was just an, es, an espresso maker, but apparently it's got a special name, M-O-K-A. So I've tried it in that. That's it so far, but I, I'm eager to try even more. Um, today I am drinking it as sort of an Americano, and it is just such a good, it's really, really good. So, you know, I while you may not have access to flight coffee in Auckland, find a good a good roast and and enjoy it because that is uh, a really really 
great thing to do in life. Enjoy things, especially coffee. Anyway, I got um, some comments, some listener feedback here that I should probably cover. I've been meaning to cover it for weeks and it just kind of didn't the, the past couple of episodes haven't been terribly standardized, so, um, or they've been out of the, you know, out of, out of process a little bit. So, uh, this one is from Grips, or Gripes, G-R-Y-P-S, on Mastodon, and Gripes says, thank you for calling me and, calling, calling me and my whole family out, um, in your latest episode on, uh, GNU World Order. We still buy CDs and DVDs and burn data, pictures and video on CD and DVD, and we still use an old laptop you can't boot from USB. So optical media is not dead is the short story. And as I've as I've admitted on the show, I've very recently burned a Slackware 15.0 um, disk myself. And uh, in truth, I do when when given the option i buy a I, I buy music on a cd rather than digital downloads of course i'm I, I use a lot of bandcamp so that is often actually not an option and if i had to sort of choose between buying cool weird indie music off of bandcamp or buying sort of stuff from a cd store i'm probably going to choose the cool weird indie stuff from bandcamp so in in a way my musical consumption of of optical media has really drastically gone down. I mean it had already gone down when I when I ripped all of my optical media because I I realized that I I couldn't carry that amount of stuff around with me everywhere and so it it did go down but as I settled into different living arrangements here and there uh, you know, I tend you tend to sort of collect a couple of things, and some of those things were were CDs, and certainly DVDs, because uh, once again, it's just you know you have a choice. You can burn, you can you can rip stuff and put it on a hard drive, and then worry about that hard drive for the rest of your life, or you can buy it on a an optical disc and just put it on your shelf and not really worry about it so much, as long as you have a shelf, and that's the that's the deciding factor, I think. Uh, but yeah, so optical media, I guess, isn't entirely dead. I think readable and I think writable rather optical media is is overrated that I would I would say I don't trust it as a long-term storage medium and I don't I don't love its performance or its speed or its reliability or anything about it so I don't know about the whole burning pictures and video to CD and DVD that that's dangerous in my mind using a laptop that doesn't boot from USB is a reality that that's a that's a, a real chore to get around that it's just so annoying N- not not because booting from CD is so painful but i for me i don't i don't know every time you upgrade you have to burn another CD that's just annoying to me but or DVD whatever uh so uh, booting from USB is is quite a luxury that i would i i do not like giving up but i've definitely been there so yes as i speak about optical media and pretend like it is absolutely so far gone that nobody remembers what it is, I do realize that I'm I'm being a little bit hyperbolic there. It's still around. It's still still relevant. Um, I'm just not sure that it was ever as great as maybe the industry was trying to say that it was. Okay. Um, although, you know, for, for independent artists, I mean, being able to burn a CD or a DVD for a, for a very long time was a big, big de- deal because, I mean, that was how you would get your music or your videos or whatever into people's hands because you couldn't throw that stuff online back then. People wouldn't be able to the bandwidth wasn't there so you had to you know hit the streets and like hand out your cd at at festivals or street fairs or whatever so that was i mean that was a huge huge deal and not not to be underrated at all 
I I was I had a I had a a CD burner on a rack under my emu sampler for the longest of times and it was it was always burning something i mean non-stop burning and it was nice because it could you could burn straight from your dat your digital audio tape deck which was a, a precursor to sort of hard drive recording you would just record to a digital audio tape a dat tape and it was high quality like I don't know, 48 kilohertz or 96 kilohertz. It was a big deal. And then you could uh, pipe that into your um, your CD recorder and and uh, it's all on the rack. So you don't even have to like, no computer involved. You just you just did the whole thing. It was, it was really nice. Um, but anyway, th- those days luckily are over and everyone just puts stuff onto a hard drive and onto the internet and people download it or stream it. And it's really, really easy in theory to get your music to listeners. Okay, next up is another name I can't pronounce, and that's not a critique. I also have unpronounceable monikers sometimes online. This one is Cytopige, Cytopige, Cytopige. Cytopige says um, that there is a interesting um, little application called TMSU, and TMSU, if you go to tmsu.org, is an audio or no, sorry is a file tagger so file so tmsu doesn't actually tag files <laughs> that's that's a weird thing to say but it is a file tagger so it is a tagging system and i've used i haven't used well i have now i, I hadn't used tmsu until cytopig had told me about it but i had i had used something similar to it and uh, and i devised sort of a an ad hoc method for it um, f- at work, uh, and and we'd used also this other thing, so we were kind of going back and forth trying to find a, a solution, essentially for out of I guess out of process file classification, meaning that your your there's no metadata being applied to your files, so it's not file system dependent, which is a big deal because very frequently metadata on files, I mean outside of things that have metadata built into them. Metadata on a lot of different kinds of files depends on the file system because what you eventually start resorting to are extended attributes on on your files. But the moment you use extended attributes, well, now you're completely bound to that file system. Or, or, or you're not, but you're bound to a set of file systems. And that can be tricky. And, and I mean, it would mean that if you migrate your, your little file system from one place to another, then you, you could lose all of that extra, those extended attributes could just go away. They just don't get transferred because there's no way to, there's nowhere to put them on the new file system potentially. So that, that's a dangerous game to play. Whereas something like TMSU and this other project that I had worked with before, but is gone now, I believe. I, I don't believe it exists anymore. It was kind of, it was starting to flounder towards the end of, of my use of it. And um, I will say that, you know, in theory, I, in theory, I like the idea. In theory, in practice, I don't actually use it. And, and I think it's, at the end of the day, I think it's an important concept to have. I think it's important, or it's it's an important tool to have for for some things. Now, in a really, really basic, and this is what I had started working on for some people at work at a, at, in a, in a, at a job I, I had at, for a while, um, and it was just the just the simple idea of adding metadata to file names really 
And so you could do something, and this isn't what TMSU does, but I'm just, I'm just kind of introducing this concept here. So uh, if I touch um, foo and then say underscore or, or plus, let's do plus, plus um, audio, plus, um, I don't know, podcast dot, I don't know, let's do, I guess, txt. I don't know why it's foo plus audio plus podcast dot txt, but uh, apparently it has something to do with an audio project that I'm working on and also gets used in my podcast. And then I'm going to touch bar and I'm going to do plus um, um, script plus podcast dot txt. And then I'll finally touch foo plus audio plus game plus uh, dot, um, I don't know, aug. Okay, so I've got I've got three different files here, and they have they have they have these names, and then there are these 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 tags, and and admittedly these are quite long tags, but they are self-descriptive as well. So I could do a find in this in this um, directory for a file with a name that starts with anything, but includes the string um, audio, and then of course I get returned back my foo audio podcast and my foo audio game so now i i know i actually didn't mean to use foo for both of those i used meant to use baz for the, the the final one but anyway um now i now i've i've searched by some arbitrary string which has been agreed upon by everyone presumably in the in the organization or in the department or whatever that that's how we're going to extend the the context of a file. So, do we need to find all of the audio files on this, on in this directory? Okay, we'll search for anything tagged with I don't know plus a. We could shorten the tags. Plus a is audio. Plus g is for the game project that we're all working on. And if something is both audio, it, it applies to it's an audio file and it is for the game project. Then we'll we'll tag it with both because maybe the audio file also. Um, pertains to a different project, such as the podcast that we do about our game, and so on. So that's the, that's the the concept, that's the idea. Um, but that's the very rudimentary kind of blatant, sort of out in the open idea. And it's not really metadata, right? It's just now you're. I mean, it is metadata, but it's kind of codified. So the the idea behind TMSU is that you can instead find a hidden, use a hidden structure to to do essentially the same uh, sort of process. I'm going to, um, I guess, yeah, let me go to tmsu.org and download this thing. And then I'm gonna just move, I'm gonna move my tmsu directory into my binary holding pin. Uh, and then I, that way it's kind of in my path. It's not actually in my path, but it's close enough within my path that I could do it. Uh, without thinking about it so much. Okay, so now I've got, uh, I'm going to just touch foo.txt, I'm going to touch bar.txt, and then I'm going to touch baz.org, I think is what I called it, yeah. Okay, so now I've got these files, and I'm going to invoke from my bin directory, tmsu, and I'm going to do an init, I-N-I-T, which creates a little database in my demo directory. So everything within this demo directory is now being not governed by but or managed by but but can is being monitored or monitored i guess by tmsu i like this because if anyone involved has ever used git then this is all already a, a very familiar um setup like this doesn't seem odd i don't think to anybody this is this is normal 
you can go into a directory, you can run an init command, and now you know that that directory has special power. If you go outside of that directory, you lose those powers. But inside of this directory, you have special powers. And I think that's that's a valuable little tradition to hook into. And and of course, if you do an ls-a in this directory, as you might expect, you would you, you'll see that there is a .tmsu directory. So there's a little bit of an indication there that yes, this is an active TMSU zone. So now I'm going to go up to um, former command here. Okay, so TMSU. And this time I'm going to tag something. I'm going to type in tag tag, and I'm going to tag, I guess, foo.txt with a couple of tags, including audio space, what was it? Podcast, I think, for foo podcast. And TMSU tells me, okay, the new tag audio has been created and the new tag podcast has been created. So those exist and uh, presumably foo has now been, has been, um, has been tagged with those, with those files. Okay, well tags are no good if you can't, if you don't know how to utilize them. So here's how you can put those tags to work. Let's say you want to find a specific you, you want to find the files that have been tagged with a, a specific thing. Well, that's TMSU files, the word files, and then the tag that you want to search by. So for instance, audio tells me that foo.txt has been tagged with the audio tag. And I guess that wasn't all that impressive because it was just the one, but I could also do TMSU tag baz.og audio game. And then when I search for TMSU files audio, shows me baz.og and foo.txt, or I could search for game and it tells me that it's just baz.og for game, and so on. You could, you know, I mean, that's that's the that's the basics. If you go to tmsu.org, you get all, all the different commands. And it, it is quite, it's quite useful. You can, you can list the existing tags. You can always create a new tag. Uh, you can search by tags. And I mean, you can do more. You can merge tags and things like that. But I mean, I think I feel like like that right there. The, that's really useful. Now, once again, the 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 the, the danger, quote unquote, here is that uh, it's it is a it's a separate database. It doesn't it well you know the the danger, and again that was in quotes. So the danger in air quotes, and the the feature, the 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 feature the most the most rich feature of the thing is that it's in a separate database. So the danger is that now it's separate from your data. Uh, the feature, though, is that it is separate from your data. It's not file system dependent. You can carry it around. You can commit it to a Git repo. You know, it's just something, it's a thing that you can manage with your files. And when there's a a set of data that you find that you think it would be useful to classify in some other way other than the, the general conventions of well, if it's an audio file, put it into the audio directory, and if it's a video file, put it into the video directory, because sometimes it just doesn't, or if it's a game file, put it in the game directory and put it in the podcast, put it in the podcast, because sometimes that doesn't happen. Like, sometimes you need those files in other places, and and so this is one option to do that. I mean, th there are other options. You could use symlinks, you could, um, you know, come up with some other method, like I, like I said, like just tagging things, quote-unquote tagging things in the file name. You know, there are other options. But TMSU is an option, and 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 I think it's an elegant little system. I, I was impressed. The, the other system that I had used that is that is dead. I, I wish I could find it. 
file tagger GUI? No, I don't know. I don't remember what it was called. But anyway, um, the the other one that I had used at at, at work for a little while was it, it was all GUI. So I, I feel like there's a high likelihood that for me, from my workflow, I found it a little bit inconvenient anyway. Also, I wasn't the person requesting this feature, so it was more of something that I was trying to help other people add to their desired workflow, so I didn't have the chance or the opportunity to use it all that often myself. Uh, I think if it's in a terminal, though, I'm more likely to utilize it. I think I would have to start out small, though. I think I'd have to start out in just, like, one directory or something, you know, and, like, kind of kind of get a feel for it. But then again, I mean, would it be useful in, in one little directory? Yeah, I mean, honestly, my current process doesn't really probably warrant a whole bunch of metadata on random files. Either way, it's a very cool tool. I'm, I'm really happy to have found out about it. It's written in Go, interestingly. Uh, and it's easy to get and to run on Slackware anyway, so give it a go if you're interested in TMSU or in adding non-file system-based metadata to your files. Give it a look. So thank you very much for people who um, gave me little uh, feedbacks and tips, and let's continue in the episode. Let's see what's next. Ah, technically is K-Algebra, but if you'll recall, I've actually already covered K-Algebra. Around 12 minutes and 50 seconds into episode 445, I posed the question whether I should have been talking about K-Algebra at that advanced stage. Because I was talking about Analitza, which is a library that drives K-Algebra. It was hard to talk about Analitza sort of without demonstrating something, so I... I dipped over into K-Algebra and talked about it and got very excited about K-Algebra, and and that kind of used up K-Algebra, I'm afraid, for this show. So I'm not going to talk about K-Algebra. It's already been done. We've covered it. If you want to hear more about K-Algebra, go back, listen to episode 445. It starts at around 12, 12 minutes and 50 seconds in, um, and, and that's fine. What I'll do instead is talk about OpenStax, O-P-E-N-S-T-A-X. Dot org, not to be confused with OpenStack, which is the a big sort of foundational driver for open source cloud computing, OpenStack. No, this is OpenStacks, S-T-A-X, dot org. It is a website with peer-reviewed, openly licensed, 100% zero-dollar free textbooks for some fairly uh, basic up to advanced topics. And these are in English and Spanish. There is, for instance, algebra and trigonometry. There's calculus. There's algebra for very, very beginners. There's algebra there's statistics. There's pre-algebra. There's pre-calc. There's, um, in the science department, there's biology and anatomy and physics and all kinds of things. Very, very complete well, maybe not complete, but I mean a, a really well-rounded set of textbooks that, as far as I can tell, are genuinely peer-reviewed, genuinely openly licensed, and available for everyone. I had purchased a humble bundle for some textbooks so that I could brush up on my math skills, which desperately need brushing up upon, and I, I have to say I was a little bit disappointed. I didn't pay much for the humble bundle. I got a, a pretty rudimentary sort of set, but I was I was disappointed. OpenStax, I learned about last week, and I've been reading 
these books, I, I can't honestly say nonstop because I have, it hasn't been as much as I've wanted, but it, it has been difficult to put these down. They have, they are very, very good. I'm doing the rudimentary sort of like, remember what math is, and it is just fantastic to the point that I thought, okay, well, this is literally too basic for me. We're talking about addition. Like that, that's a little bit basic. But on a whim, I stuck with it. I, I kept going through just to see sort of, I, I, I stopped looking at the math so much and started looking at the teaching style because that's, that's fascinating to me as well. Is how, how do you, how do you communicate the ideas of math or, or anything, but specifically to this, how, how do you communicate math to people? Because math is a very, for some people, very sort of tall order to sort of get into their head. Um, so I was, I was fascinated by that, but they, 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 and at some points I thought, okay, well, this is silly. They're, they're getting into, they're doing weird sort of, uh, really weird sort of analogies and things like that and examples. And they're really belaboring all of this. And the more they did it, the more I read and, and it started to totally make sense. Like they kept calling back to their own examples to reinforce these, these concepts uh, of visualizing numbers and how they relate to each other. And then they had, I think the real, the real surprise for me was a grid that they had, which on the x-axis listed some numbers and on the y-axis listed some numbers. And then in, in the middle, you were supposed to fill them out with the, the sum of the, of the numbers that intersected the x and the y numbers. So maybe there was like an 8 and a 5. And so you're supposed to add that up and write down 13. And that, to me, was a little bit of a revelation that you could ideally train your mind to think of numbers d sort of differently. Like, I, th I think a good number of people essentially still count on their fingers to add basic numbers like 8 and 5 and so on, um, because that's what we were taught. And so seeing it in a grid and realizing you could treat addition, at least, well, I guess you could, yeah, you could treat addition as you treated as you as you may have treated multiplication because i i feel like in school multiplication tables were always a thing so that you could say things like okay 7 times 7 49 you know like just right off the bat no hesitation you just know those numbers go together and it it dawned on me through this very rudimentary book that you could memorize some tables like you could just memorize that 8 plus 5 was 13 8 plus 6 was 14 8 plus 7 is 15 8 plus 8, 16. And, and you could just remember all of that so that when you saw something like 25 plus 48, then it's a lot less time consuming for you to say, okay, that 8 and the 5, well, I know that's going to result in the 3. I'll carry that 1. And then whatever I said, what was a 4, was it 48 and 25? So 6 and 7, so 73, something like that. Whatever I said, I've forgotten the numbers. But that was a, a literal revelation to me. Like I did not know that. So Check out openstacks.org if you are a person who needs to learn new stuff. And thanks to whomever on Mastodon mentioned this. It was in, it was in a comment that someone was asking for, for guidance for basic maths. And I had told them, you know, that I was trying this, these, this one set of books and that I was avoiding this other thing. And someone else just dropped in and openstacks.org. And what a revelation. Definitely try. Try openstacks.org if you're looking for really good um, learning materials for, I think, really, maybe not any age, but like almost any age, you know, like, I mean, certainly, I would imagine teenage 
teenage and up, maybe less. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a good resource though. I highly recommend it. Uh, I've only read, you know, I'm only reading so far one book, but I, I, I really, really badly just want to power through all of these because it's very exciting. Well, that was my K-Algebra talk, which had nothing to do with K-Algebra. And similarly, well, not similarly, on a related note, there's an application called Calzium, K-A-L-Z-I-U-M. It shows a periodic table of elements. Now, this is another um, subject that I'm not really very familiar with at all. Chemistry, I guess, is what that would fall under. I, I don't really know, to be honest. I would say so, chemistry. Um, it's a periodic table, and you can click on an element. Well, you can roll over the element to see sort of an enlarged version of the little of the little box, the, the, the table box. So I roll over H. It tells me that's a hydrogen, and it's a one, little subscript 1H, and that is a 1.00794U, which I understand, I believe, is like the, the weight or something like that of that element, something like that. I don't know. So uh, I will click on, well, now I'm, I'm rolling over beryllium, and I'm going to click on that, and that gives me a lot more information, a lot more information. Uh, it tells me the melting point, the boiling point, the electron affinity, which I was actually just wondering that the other day, electronic configuration, covalent, covalent radius, the van der Waals radius, I, I'm, of course, a big fan of van der Waals radiuses, rate, radii over a covalent radii any day. Uh, atomic mass, a first ionization energy, and so on. So it, it's giving you all that information. And then in the left column, I can also see the atom model of this um, element. I can see the isotopes. Miscellaneous. This, ele this element was discovered in the year 1797. It was discovered by Nicholas Louis Vaquilin, uh, origin of the name, Greek beryllios for, or beryllos for light green stone. Uh, the spectrum, it shows me the spectrum and extra information, which are links to places like Wikipedia, Jefferson Lab, and web elements. So it, it's clearly sort of a, um, and you can just kind of page through and, and just look at all the elements that way. And I mean, that is, as far as I know, that's what it does. Like that's the, that's the function of this of this application. I don't know of any other reason for this to exist. I mean, this is just an educational tool that is filed under the educational menu in in the the K menu. If you search for it, it's calcium periodic table of elements. Um, so it it is, I believe, mostly a an educational tool. Um, there are there is a built-in uh, calcium calculator. Calculator contains a variety of calculators for different tasks performing different calculations. You can find the following calculators in calcium. You've got a molecular mass calculator, concentrations calculator, nuclear calculator, gas calculator, equation, balancer, and titration calculator. So, I mean, I don't know the beginning of, of even, like, where to begin with this. This is not something that I would even be able to fake my way through, so I'm not going to try... But if you are familiar with this kind of thing, if you know science and you know elements, but you don't know what two elements added together would weigh, uh, you could find out in Calcium Calculator. It, it's genuinely a fascinating, a, a peek into a, a fascinating world that I know nothing about. Um, that there, There's a data plotter, there's a calculator, and there's the, the table, and information about every single element. So it's pretty neat. Uh, it is something that I can imagine being very, very useful to some 
disciplines and probably generically useful for someone just kind of taking introductory chemistry, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's pretty neat. I don't know that I need this installed, you know, myself. I honestly don't. Uh, certainly not on a daily basis. So I'm going to do a sudo remove pkg calcium and remove it from my system now that I've talked about it. But if I read through the chemistry book on OpenStax, I can see myself reinstalling this later. Absolutely. Very, very cool application. Next in the list is Camera. K-A-M-E-R. It's not uh, a... Um, it's not really a uh, application so much as it is a configuration panel in the system settings. So if you go to system settings and do a search for, I guess, yeah, camera, or digital camera, click on that. That's camera, K-A-M-E-R-A. And it is a place where you can configure how um, actions, well, I mean, you can, sorry, so you can also launch camera from your K menu. So I didn't mean to suggest that the only way to get here was system settings. That is a way to get here though. Um, and, and either way, you're in essentially the same place. So camera is a configuration option to, to tell KDE what to do when it detects a specific kind of camera connected uh, to it. So if you, there's a big list uh, on the left, in the left panel. Well, if you click the add button, there's a big list of all the different cameras that it kind of is pre-programmed to recognize. And that includes a bunch of different Canons, Canon EOS, EOSes, EOSes, uh, power shots, uh, some Fujis, some GoPros, some Kodaks, and Lenovo's, and Nikon's, and Sony's. All kinds of different things. So, you know, and, and if it's not listed there, I guess, I, I don't know, because there's no, there's no option to add your own custom camera as far as I, as far as I can tell. But, um, most of these are just USB cameras, so it's pretty straightforward for it to recognize them as storage devices. And then once you've got that set, you can, of course, set device actions for that camera. So you could say, okay, I'm going to add, uh, I'll just take the, well, maybe not the first one. Here's, a, here's an early one, Acer A1841, early in the list, I mean. So now I've got that device added to my, my recognized digital camera list. Uh, unfortunately, I don't actually have that camera, so I can't configure it. I thought I could configure it. I guess not. Um, but you know, I, I don't have a digital camera, so I, I have nothing to, to demonstrate this on. But uh, there are, I'm going to discard that, uh, there are actions that you can have each device take. Uh, so for instance, you could add, um, well, I mean, it's mostly pre-populated, but there are things like download photos with GwynView, download photos with Digicam, uh, create an audio CD with K3B, create data project with K3B, and so on. So when you plug a digital camera in, this is the list of options you're going to receive when you when when you do that when it when it detects that camera so that's kind of nice and and useful this is all in the same uh department uh, as removable devices as removable storage is what it's called so you know it's it's just it's a front end to udev in a way and a way for you to be able to add a device that you know that you use frequently get information about that device configure how that device reacts or how the system reacts to that device and so on. So that's camera 
it is in system settings under digital camera uh, or just in removable devices, removable storage, sorry. The next one is related to all of this, which is Camoso. Camoso is a um, sort of a photo booth application that ought to auto-detect your webcam if you have one. Most laptops do, and your, your desktop may or may not. I do have a USB cam on my desktop now because um, I have been working from home for several years now and it's just kind of important for video calls to have a USB camera. So that is something that I have configured and as I launch Camoso, that is exactly what is being used by Camoso. It's just auto-detected. It shows me a picture of, of, in this case, me speaking into a microphone and I can do things like take a photo. It just took a photo of me. Or I could record a video. I'm not going to do that right now. Or capture a burst of photos. And uh, after you take a photo, there is a sort of a drawer in on the right side of the window. You can open and you can see what you've just taken. So this is your photo gallery. And you can click on share the item or move it to a trash or open it in the pictures folder or configure Camoso. It's an odd thing to be there, but that'll, that'll um, show you where your pictures, or that'll let you control where your pictures are stored. Uh, deep by default, it goes to tilde slash pictures. So that's on that on that side. There's also a um, supposed to be an effects option as well on the left. But when I click that, I don't see any effects. So I'm not really sure if that's just something that's not included by default, or maybe my camera can't support those effects. I'm not really sure to be honest. Oh, there's the effects. I swear that wasn't there earlier. Yeah, so you can put little filters, you know, the silly filters over your over your image, sort of like you can mirror it or turn yourself green, that sort of thing. It's just, it's silly effects. I've never really quite understood the purpose of those. I would always, if I was going to do that, I would do that in post-production myself. So I never saw the point of the, the, the filters. And it looks like um, Camoso just crashed because of one of the filters. So that's that's something there too. Um, I have reason to believe that I'm not using the optimal video driver for my system right now because that, that is not the first time that sort of thing has happened. Anyway, that's Camoso, and I think I'll leave this episode off with a quick look at Canagram, or K-Anagram. This is a game in which you must decode letters that are given to you out of, out of discernible order. You launch it. It, it 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 just starts right away. It you're you're in it. So this this word is E N Y K M O, and the challenge is to figure out. If, apparently, it says it's an animal, but I have reason to believe that it is not an animal at all. I have reason to believe that it's an application included, or or by the KDE, um, but by, by KDE, I believe it is K money. So you click on the the letters in the order and. That was the sound of success. Sounded like an error to me, but that's apparently um, success. I don't know why that would say animals. That's really strange. Um, maybe maybe it's telling me that I was... Yeah, no, I don't know. Okay, well, here's World Capitals. G-A-I-R. I uh, wanted to make that Iran or Iraq, but that doesn't make sense because that's not a um, capital, I guess. Is uh, G-I-R-A? No, that's not... Oh, is that a thing? I don't know. Gira? That could be a thing. Okay, anyway, that's that's K-Anagram. It is um, sort of, th- that's what it is. I mean, it's a little game where you sc- unscramble 
unscramble the um the words you can click the little eyeball to get a um to to reveal the the answer you can configure uh the settings like configure the game to um give yourself uh more time and less time use different vocabulary um uh banks of vocabulary vocabulary options and so on I mean, it's a pretty basic game, but it's it's fun. It's it's an easy, quick, sort of satisfactory challenge that you can probably do a couple and, and then continue on with your work or something like that. So yeah, that's it's a nice one. I'd always meant to open that up, and I I never I never got around to it. So I'm I'm glad that it came up in this list because I I, I always thought it seemed like something that I should should do from time to time. Just you know, it helps build vocabulary. It helps sort of look at things differently and so on. So K Anagram. Now, two packages from now is Catman, which is something that I really would love to talk about right now. But in the way between you and me and Catman, there lies K API docs. And that's um that's something that I need to look at. So I'm not going to talk about Catman. I'm not going to skip over K API docs. I'm going to look at K API docs and then I'll Come back in the next episode and talk about KAPI docs. Talk about Catman. And who knows what else? Probably a lot more stuff. So listen for that next time. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted. Until next time, thanks for listening, and keep the source open. Music's terrible.